Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. I just had another group of amazing women complete my group program, and I just want to say that I am so fucking proud of my grads and the work that they've done that I just want to give them a special shout out. You all know how much I love you and how proud I am of you and how honored I am that you've allowed me to be your guide through this work. So... Special shout out to all of you publicly. I've told you all individually, but now I'm doing it on the podcast. Shout out to you now. (laughs) Okay. So um, one more thing. Um, I've created a new product and it's called the Ultimate Divorce Survival Guide. Um, And if you're going through or thinking about going through a divorce, you need this guide. This thing is 25 pages, I think, of packed content, including how to tell your kids you're getting a divorce, a co-parenting agreement, a children's bill of rights that you and your ex can agree to and sign, a mutual vision statement for how you want your relationship to transform that you get to co-create with your ex, a guide for how to make holidays and divorce not suck solely holy hell, uh, top mistakes to avoid when getting divorced, and the the back-in-the-game plan, which is a step-by-step guide for how to get your back in financial dating and work grooves. Uh, This thing is packed to the gills. And you guys, it's $27. It is stupid cheap. So seriously, grab yours in the show notes and prepare to have the best divorce possible by following all the steps in this guide. Okay. On to today's episode. So today we have a great interview with Dr. Natalie Jones, who is a licensed professional clinical counselor who specializes in helping women overcome abusive relationships with narcissists. Now, I hate that this is so prevalent in my work, but it is. I hate that narcissism and narcissistic abuse take up so much time in my practice, but they do. And so I have turned to an expert in this for an in-depth conversation about all things narcissism, Dr. Natalie Jones. Thank you for being here, Dr. Natalie Jones. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm excited to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So we're here really, I mean, you really specialize in narcissistic abuse, helping people recover (laughs) from narcissistic abuse. Absolutely. Yes, um, that is very true. Um, I specialize in treating both ends of the spectrum, both the perpetrator and the victim. Yeah. And I find that actually really fascinating because this is a spectrum, right? And so... Talk, let's talk about that spectrum because I think it's really important to notice. I know that when um, when my ex-husband and I were in couples therapy, mm-hmm. our therapist diagnosed both of us, our couples therapist. And he said, Kate, you're a codependent. Go do some work. Read about that. Read Melody Beattie, all of the, all of the things, right? Mm-hmm. Easy. And he said... Um, to my ex, and you're a narcissist, go and do some reading and find out what you, you know, learn about narcissism. And when he went to the Google, um, and this was, you know, back in 2007 or eight, all he could come up with was NPD. Mm. And he was like, I'm not that. Yes. He's like, I'm willing to own that I have narcissistic tendencies, but I'm, but I, do, but I don't have narcissistic personality disorder. Absolutely. Um, which I agree with. He does not. Yeah. Um, but then it was sort of like, oh, well. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so I, I want to talk about the spectrum and, and what different um, sort of plots, uh, you know, points on the, on the spectrum, how they 
what they look like, what they feel like, and what they feel like to be in relationship with these people. Absolutely. Um, so narcissistic personality disorder, and you're right, um, is very different than someone who has narcissistic traits or narcissistic characteristics. And a lot of times now, when you hear people throw the word of narcissism out, what they're actually talking about is someone who has narcissistic traits, right? And someone who has narcissistic traits is going to look a lot different than someone with narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder in itself is very rare. It occurs to in about one to two percent of the population. So that's going to be very rare uh, that you see someone that has those clearly defined characteristics. And usually it's going to be uh, someone that I'm working with, uh, maybe incarceration, in incarceration or, you know, somewhere in that type of setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're talking about narcissistic traits, uh, what a lot of people are really thinking about is they're thinking about the manipulativeness or the gaslighting, um, the gaslighting meaning, but you're basically being manipulated and, and, and twisted and turned to make it think that it's all you and not the other person. Um, and in doing that, what they're going to do is they're going to be uh, getting allies to side with them and against you. They're going to be telling you no, uh, that that didn't occur the way that you thought it did. Um, it's, it's all in your head essentially. And, and it's going to essentially make you feel like, wait a minute, am I in the twilight zone? And then you start to question your own uh, sanity, if you will. The other piece of it that uh, people think of when they're talking about the traits is the lying, right? And lying could be simple and very self-serving, um, and it could be to the point where they actually believe it. But when you when you see it in the personality disorder, it's very very pathological lying, um, and it's all it's very easy. It becomes like breathing. Um, yeah, it's so, so it's so scary. It's so it is scary. yeah. I, there's someone in my family uh, who definitely has narcissistic personality disorder along with another, a, a few other co-occurring personality disorders. And it's, it's, it's terrifying. Absolutely. It's really terrifying to, Absolutely. Be, to watch someone and to be related, you know, in, in some kind of relationship with someone um, mm. who, who is pathologically lies in such a way. It's so easy. It's so terrifying how, how easy it is. Yeah. Yeah. So the word that I was thinking of, I knew it would come back to me for gaslighting. It's brainwashing. Mm -hmm. It's brainwashing. It's essentially causing you to question your own uh, perception, your own reality. Um, and doing things like that. And so uh, the manipulation, um, so they're using you for their own sort of personal gain. Uh, What can I gain from manipulating or using this person? And so those are, those are some of the hallmark characteristics. There's also the, um, the selfishness or the entitlement because we all have selfishness or we, we can be selfish to some degree, but the entitlement, um, the entitlement feeling like the rules don't apply to me. Uh, whatever I want is mine for the taking and I don't need permission or approval. And then also on the spectrum, um, when we're looking at the upper end, we're talking about the feelings of being special, like I'm one of a kind, um, and and that may come across in that sort of uh, godlike complex, meaning I'm here and you're there type of thing, and, and I need to be able to control you because I'm superior to you and everybody else. Um, and so that would be something that you would, you would see. And again, that feeling of specialness also um, extends to others, meaning that I can only surround myself or I can only admire or even envy or even put myself in the same category with those who have superior status such as myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be someone that feels like, oh, they can only see a medical doctor of this 
specialty and not like a nurse practitioner or an art, you know what I mean? Like, right. yeah, no, yeah. I need to see that. At, and you see the yeah. Harvard graduate, <laughs> yeah. not the yeah, like University absolutely. of Kentucky graduate. Or, yeah. <laughs> right. And not to say that there's nothing wrong with top-notch care or things like that, but this person goes out of their way to put themselves in that same category. Like I can only be associated with or right. only be affiliated with people in that category. Um, everyone else is less than inferior um, or not as good as me. Yeah, so that it becomes very uh, grandiose, if you will, meaning that they become very fixated on that. And uh, yeah, the other hallmark traits would be like jealousy and envy um, and the feeling, uh, the lack of empathy, Mm -hmm. um, those things. And um, the lack of the range of emotion, especially positive emotions, such as happiness, feeling excited or warmth towards other people. Um, What you're going to see a lot um, might be rage or anger or contempt. So you would see more of those types of emotions. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you find yourself married to this kind of person... What are you experiencing? Like on a daily basis, what is being in relationship with a narcissist like? Like this gaslighting, like when we talk about gaslighting, it's almost like we're talking we're ca- talking about it from the other side, sort of looking back on it and going, "Oh, wow, yeah. that's what that was," right? Yeah. But what are Absolutely. some of What is it like? I mean, I c- I can speak to this a little bit too <laughs> from a lot of experience, but what is it like to be in a relationship with someone like this? It depends on where you're at in the relationship. Typically in the beginning, um, it's very, there's there's a honeymoon phase, right? It's very, this person is very charming. They're doting on you. They're making you feel like you're wonderful. You're beautiful. Um and you know is it it can a lot of times be described as a whirlwind romance meaning that things went very quickly and it was very full of passion and excitement um maybe that person even was pushing boundaries with you and having you do some things that you weren't so comfortable with in the beginning and and you thought of it as being um very adventurous or exciting mm-hmm. in the beginning. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> and we often refer to that as being love bombed. Yeah. Right? And it's, and it's, it's this swirl Absolutely. of stuff and it's kind of designed to destabilize you Absolutely. so that you don't question, right? It's like, it's such a swirl that you're just swept up in it and you're not giving rational cognitive thought and reason you're yeah you're not given rational thought and reasoning reasoning but you're also not pumping the brakes and taking a step outside of the bubble right you're kind of just caught up in this thing um, you may not be asking questions and really getting to know this person on a deeper level and so that's one of the things that I will say too is that um, we have to be mindful that uh, we're in these whirlwind romances that you don't know the person, but a part of you feels like you do because you're caught up in this situation. But really and truthfully, you don't know them in depth. You don't know their vulnerabilities, um, their weaknesses, their sadness, um, their life experiences and things. You, you kind of know uh, the things that they put out there and that they want you to know. As time goes on, um, you know, when you start to see the breakdown, what you start to see is um, behavior that's degrading or demoralizing towards you. Uh, this might come out in intimacy or intimacy or sex, um, where sex is uh, they want it their way or it's really kind of detached or emotionless. Um, you're just kind of, it may be even feeling robotic in a way. And you can feel it in in the person's sleep patterns as well, because even when sleeping, they'll kind of push you away or they won't, um, you know, where in the beginning they were all over you. They were kind of smothering you even with love and affection. But as time goes on and they really start to pull away and become more abusive, they're starting to push you away. Again, you might start to see... Um, 
lying or controlling tactics. Uh, control can come out in a variety of ways. Um, that can come out in the form of emotional, psychological, mental, financial uh, control, uh, sexual control. Uh, so you can start to see those things where they really just want things their way and they kind of take the power away from you. Mm -hmm. The other piece of it too is, um, you, they want, they always want to feel like they're loved or they're special. And so that's going to be drawing a lot more energy from you. If you're on the opposite side of that, where you feel like you constantly have to prove yourself, prove your love or prove your worthiness to that person. Uh, so much so that you're the one who's actually doing most of the work in the relationship. Uh, that also may show up in other ways where you have, um, isolated yourself from friends and family because that person has been consuming, uh, all consuming of your time and your energy, or maybe they are jealous mm -hmm. of the time and energy that you spend with others or controlling. Uh, you might also start to see rage uh, that comes across or may appear as like a tantrum or someone's having a bad day. You'll start to see those increase in intensity and frequency. Mm -hmm. um, also, too, what you may start to see is um, or you may experience is that person having um, – you know, an alignment of sorts, uh, having people that sort of align with or uh, clean up their mess or take take their side when the two of you are kind of um, caught up in an argument or, or, or at odds of sorts. So um, those are some of the things that, you know, just come off the top of my head that we'll, yeah. we'll definitely start to see. Um, and then, you know, it, it, the dynamics can become so much more interesting or complicated or complex when there's children involved. Uh, children are often used as uh, like pawns as another way for them to sort of gain control or try to get the upper hand or cause um, additional suffering, uh, especially if you try to walk away. When you try to walk away from a relationship uh, with a narcissistic partner or with a person who has uh, strong narcissistic traits, there's not walking away. Uh, that can be actually be very dangerous um, because again, you have to think that you have to remember that this person is not a rational thinker and they are thinking of you as more of like property or an extension of them. And so you don't, they don't want you to leave the relationship unless they are ready for you to leave the relationship. Um, if you try to do it before then, there's probably going to be some hell to pay. And that could show up in the courtroom. Uh, that can show up in terms of, uh, and, you know, in the courtroom in terms of them being very difficult to go through court proceedings, not showing up, you know, arguing over things that are petty, uh, not um, adhering to the boundaries or the policies of whatever's happening in court. Um, but it, it can also show up in ways in which, you know, you're met with anger and animosity all the time or indifference or they refuse to communicate with you. Uh, or maybe if you're involved in child custody, they'll try to keep the children way past the the deadline or not answer your calls or just disappear altogether. Um, that can also uh, they they may also be spending a considerable amount of time uh, dragging your name and, and your character through the mud to yeah. try to, again, gain allies, but also to make you appear to be a person of poor or unworthy character. So they're really going to try to destroy you uh, the best way that they can. So how do you set healthy boundaries with someone like this, right? If you're good, especially if you are, if you're planning on leaving them, right? That's, that's the biggest boundary you can possibly set is, is, is leaving them. Right. Um, yeah. And when there are children involved, how do you do this safely? Um, 
and effectively? You know, there is, um, and I, I answer this with a grain of caution because what I will say is there's no one size fits all for everybody. Right. Everyone that's leaving their narcissistic partner is not in the same emotional space or financial space or what have you. They, they might have their reasons for um, still staying somewhat connected to that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people have what's called a trauma bond, which means that even though they know that someone is bad for them or they treat them poorly, they are still connected to that person emotionally in some way. Um, and so with that being said, though, uh, you know, some of my recommendations include this. Uh, first and foremost, especially for those who are trying to leave, I would say really uh, the first thing would be to develop a plan mm-hmm. um, and develop a plan in a way that is safe for you. Um, So I would not recommend keeping like details um, at home about how you're going to exit. I also wouldn't recommend that you're talking to people that that your ex or your partner is aligned with, right? Because they're going to run back and tell everything or, you know, they can, you know, they can be an open book, which can actually put you in more uh, jeopardy, if you will. So definitely develop a safety plan or an exit strategy. What that might look like for you is maybe keeping cash in a place that's safe that that person doesn't have access to or would not find. That might be at your job or with a friend, uh, keeping uh, clothes or a bag packed so that when you're ready to go, it's very easily accessible. Also, too, it could be like a Dropbox somewhere, like an Amazon Dropbox. They have those like all over now, like an Amazon locker, if you will. So that would be, you know, just kind of setting aside some time And it might also involve you talking with someone to help you develop a safety plan. National Center for Domestic Violence is great for that. I'm also a certified domestic violence counselor. Um, And so that would be the one of the things. The second thing, um, as you're thinking about safety, especially if isolation was, and there's a good chance that it was that you were kind of isolated or the quality of your relationships went down um, while you were with your narcissistic partner, I would say getting reacquainted with people um, and reestablishing relationships and emotional support uh, with the people in your life that you may have distanced yourself from or with new people, um, including a therapist. I would definitely recommend a therapist because a therapist is going to be talking to you about logic and reasoning and just really helping you to... um, plan and and discuss the emotions that are coming up with you. And also your therapist, uh, if they're good, which hopefully they are, they're going to be rational thinkers, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to be telling you, um, you know, I'm concerned for your safety because sometimes we doubt when we've been gaslit so much or we've been manipulated so much, a therapist is going to be able to reality test and say, I'm concerned for your safety. Um, This is what I see here that that you might need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, So definitely, um, getting back away from isolation and being surrounded and supported by others. The other thing too is again, when we've been gaslit, we have trauma bonds We're we go back and forth with our emotions, with our narcissistic partner. Some days we love them. We romanticize. We can't get over other days. We're fearful. We're scared. We dislike the relationship. We know it's very toxic for us. Um, it's very useful to be mindful of what your emotions are and what's sort of triggering that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also maybe even writing things down so that when you get to this place where you're like romanticizing, you can then go back and look at like some actual facts about why this person isn't good for you mm-hmm. and what's what's triggering this for you. This is another reason why I think therapy is very helpful because um, they'll help you with processing that and keeping your own feelings in check. And the reason why this is so important is because um, 
when you're leaving, if you decide that you are ready to leave a narcissist, especially the person who's on the upper end of the spectrum, mm. the best way to do it that I would recommend is to go no contact. So if you're waxing and waning on your emotions, chances are you're going to wax and wane with your contact with that person. You're going to, you're going to answer the call. You're going to, you're going to give in to the tactics and, and keep the lines of communications open. If you're keeping the lines of communications open again with a personal who's not rationally thinking they're, they're thinking we're still in a relationship. You still want to be with me. You're still giving me some sort of attention, even if it's negative attention. Yeah. And where this gets really complicated is with my clients, with my listeners, certainly, is that when you have kids with someone, no contact is... Absolutely. You know, it's kind of not... It's not much... It's not an option. Um, There are ways of of contact. Absolutely. Using tools like our family wizard or things like that. Absolutely. But, you know, no contact is... It's not. It's not. And when you have kids, you're right, it is a little bit different. And if you have kids, what I would suggest to you is there's a couple of things that I would suggest. Um, First of all, don't try not to put your kids in the middle. They're going to do that. But I would recommend, strongly recommend that you not do that. But what I would recommend that you do is sit down and have a real conversation with your children about what's going on, letting them know it's not their fault, and setting, uh, just being realistic about what's going on and setting very clear boundaries with your children. Mm -hmm. And that, again... Uh, might be most useful to do that with counseling or someone who has expertise in working with those dynamics. Um, The other thing that I would also suggest is that if you know your partner is very narcissistic, you have to communicate with them. Keep it um, almost like you're doing a business deal. Keep it devoid of emotion, stay focused, (laughs) stay on track. Um, If they start going off on tangents or wanting to get involved in a heated argument, um, don't engage in that. Um, So just separate yourself from that. You know, if you have to hang up the phone or if you have to say, you know what, I'm not going to continue this conversation with Mm -hmm. you. We'll talk at a later time. Whatever, Whatever your style is and how you feel like, whatever works best for you without you getting emotionally embroiled in that. Well, and that's really complicated, right? That's really hard because, Mm -hmm. you know, they have been systematic, people in that situation have been systematically groomed and brainwashed. Absolutely. To not have the kind of confidence and self-esteem to be able to, to, to be able to say something like that. That's a very, sort of mature, clear thing to confident thing to Absolutely. say, I'm sorry, I'm not having this conversation. And one of the things that I often talk to my clients about is about controlling the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Because narcissists love to control the narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's difficult, right? To go from being a person who is gaslit and brainwashed to being someone who's like free and out, right? So how do you help? How do, how does that work? How do you, how do you go from being the person who's manipulated and controlled to being the person who can set clear boundaries, control the narrative, not let them take over the conversation. <laughs> like Absolutely. Like yeah. A different person, right? That's a, it is a completely different person, which is why I specify it depends on where you're at. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're in this relationship, because that's going to look different for people. Um, and, you know, it also depends on where your partner's at too, because some partners are very, very extreme and very, very dangerous. Um, And so for you to go from a person that's being manipulated and gaslit to a person that's able to have a cohesive, coherent conversation with good, solid boundaries does take a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's there's an interesting thing that happens when you're in a relationship with a person like that. Um, You know, they take your power away. So there's a a lot of feeling powerless. um, What I like to call or what is called learned helplessness, meaning that even if 
you have all the resources available to you. You just don't think you can do it because that's just how broken down you've been or you've become because of this relationship. And again, this is where I say therapy is really going to be helpful. Therapy and emotional support, right? Because if you're by yourself, you're probably going to feel a lot more helpless and feel like you don't know where to start and you don't have tools. Um, but I would say emotional support is um, vital for this. And also too, you know, we live in a great era where there's so much information and resources like this podcast and et cetera that are available to us. Googling, Google is great, yeah. right? Oh, great. (laughs) Google is great. So Google can really, you know, again, you have to be in an emotional space where you're ready to to hear that and see Mm -hmm. that because sometimes when we're we're kind of coming out, we're still not ready to hear the negative narrative that, you know, I was being manipulated, I was being abused, and people just aren't ready to hear that. But again, Google and Amazon are the top-notch resources, and there are a lot of uh, great books, great YouTube um, channels um, that can help teach people about what they've experienced and what they just come out of and how serious the situation is. Um, And that's also food for thought because those should be bringing up aha moments for you. Like, oh, what she's saying is really sticking with me. And so I need to take that with my therapist or I need to be kind of journaling about this and I need to be processing this a little bit more because that really uh, resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And so doing all of those things just learning about, I think, and being aware of what's actually going on are going to be those those first few steps. And also getting support um, is going to be, you know, some of those key first steps. Um, and then in therapy, you know, I would you know, when I'm working with clients that are just coming out of relationships with this, one of the things that I have to work on with them first is empowerment. Um, Just feeling like uh, empowerment, self-esteem, self-love, self-worthiness. And also there's a part of it too, a big part of it, which people really don't address and that's grief. um, Because a lot of times... um, Yep. What what we're, what we're struggling with, uh, in addition to feeling broken, we're also dealing with the idea of the broken fantasy of what what should have or could have been, mm-hmm. as opposed to what was. And yeah. so we have to help that person grieve um, that what you were thinking or what you were hoping or what you were longing for didn't actually happen or wasn't happening this is realistically what we're doing. So again, this is like um, reality-based stuff where I'm helping you to understand the reality of what's actually happening versus what you were hoping for. Right. Absolutely. I I second all of that. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I do with clients is exactly the same thing. Self-esteem work. I mean, that is because, because the foundation has been so destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, because the only way to be manipulated is to have that foundation. Absolutely. And so we have to build that up first. And then, and the grieving is really hard for people to grasp because they think it was awful. So I should be happy to be gone or I like, and it's, and it's never black and white. It's not, you know, and the grieving process, when we skip that, it lingers, (laughs) you know, and and I'm someone who Uh, actually skipped it. I skipped the grieving process when I, because I was so psyched to be out of my marriage that I was like, woohoo, you know, but a couple of years into it, the grief started to surface and it would come out in these dreams or it would come out in other relationships. And, and it was, it was, I realized it was a, a, you know, a step that I had skipped and I had to go back and do it again. (laughs) That sucked, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. And yeah. And I always talk about the fact that in divorce, I think that, that especially with kids, when you are constantly in relationship with the other Mm -hmm. person, that the grieving is an ongoing process that continues for, for sometimes decades. And absolutely, absolutely. And also to, 
Typically, when you're in a relationship with a narcissistic partner, it's typically, in my experience and working with my patients, it's not a linear thing. They're usually in a narcissistic relationship uh, with multiple people and or situations. That could be uh, your job. It could be some toxic family members or toxic friendships, um, you know, other situations um, that are around you. And so, you know, just um, again, the therapist therapy will help you sort of reality test and start looking at those other layers as well and examining how those other layers are actually patterns and themes. And uh, they've also helped to kind of continue to cycle and, and continue to keep you in the relationship with that partner. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, I mean, most of, most of us who have been in, who are in or have been in narcissistic relationships, this isn't our first time at the rodeo, right? And we keep dating the same kind of guy over and over again. We marry the same guy over and over again. So talk to us about what that's about. You know, um, for the majority of my clients uh, that I've worked with, um, that typically starts in a very early relationship. Uh, typically, it starts with parents or and or caregivers or siblings or perhaps even entire families where they were in where they were groomed at a very early age um, to be manipulated or to be uh, or to give in to the needs and or demands of others um, and basically taught to put their needs, their feelings, their wants and their desires up on a shelf or not be acknowledged. Um, And so that's Typically, where where I've seen that start, and that yeah. you've been groomed, you've been hardwired uh, to process your relationships that way. And when you're hardwired, you start writing narratives in your head, um, in in your your inner critic, your internalized dialogue. You start writing these narratives in your head that um, you know all people are a certain way you might hear people say all men are dogs or all women are untrustworthy or things like that because they've been wired to attract those types of people because that's who they've been groomed by so naturally even though it's a negative um narrative the type of energy that you're manifesting, the thinking that you're manifesting is actually drawing those people to you. Yeah. And it's going to, it's a cycle that continues because what happens is as people, we're doing what we know, we're doing what we've seen, even though it doesn't feel good to us, there's comfort and discomfort. Like I know how to do this. I've seen it happen time and time again. And so I'm going to continue this behavior because it serves some purpose or there's never been a reason for me to think about or change what I'm doing, thinking or feeling. Mm. And there's this unconscious draw, right? Cause it's, it, this isn't a conscious choice. This isn't like I'm go- walking down the street and, you know, finding the biggest asshole and choosing him. Right. But there is this unconscious draw that's partly based on familiarity. Absolutely. Right? And then partly based on their, you know, the, I, I, th- I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, 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 I don't subscribe to all of the Imago theory about this, but I do subscribe to the idea that we choose them because we want them to change for us. Right. And, and if they do, then we'll have, then we'll be healed. Right. Because we're a lot of times when we're in these romantic relationships, we're still thinking about the first relationship uh, that didn't go well for us. Mm-hmm. And we want to rewrite that story. So the story is going to play out the same way. And we're hoping for a different ending. Every time. Every, time. <laughs> Every damn time. Every time. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's, that's not conscious, right? We're not, we're, none of that is conscious. That is 
all unconscious. Absolutely. So how do we rewrite that story, right? How do we not just be like, forget it. I'm joining a convent because obviously (laughs) this is my lot in life, (laughs) right? Absolutely. Um, So when I'm working with my clients, what I like to do is start examining all of the relationships um, that they have around them. That could be their relationships with people, um, their family dynamics, um, their friends, work peers, uh, past romantic partners, and just start you know, having them talk to me about that. And what I'm doing, I do a pretty in-depth assessment in my intake process. And what I do is I draw out themes, Mm -hmm. right? Because people don't uh, necessarily look for that. All they know when they call me is they don't feel good and the relationship doesn't feel good, right? And so what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I'm letting them tell me their narrative and I'm drawing out uh, themes about, their prior relationships, um, they're uh, perhaps even also definitely also taking a look at um, culture and spiritual aspects. Like, um, what does your culture teach you about relationships? What does spirituality teach you about? this um if you have those things in your life because sometimes those things definitely play a big part i mean i have i work with clients a a lot of uh people come to me from the bible belt and Um, they are in you know small communities where they're being told that they're being disobedient yeah um that right there's a tons of cultural aspects that that you know religious uh, informing um, yeah. you know, I have a couple of Orthodox clients who's, you know, they're, they'll be cast, literally cast out of uh-huh. their, um, their communities. Absolutely. Yeah. So taking a look at those narratives and those dynamics and seeing how they all work together and really just again, presenting that to the person that I'm working with uh, so that we can then start to take a look at those themes. This is what I see. These are, um, you know, basically I'm conceptualizing the case and saying these are themes that are coming up uh, that are contributing to what's going on today. And here's how I think we can work together Mm -hmm. to fix it. Yeah. 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 So that, that, (laughs) (laughs) totally. How do you work with, I'm just curious, how do you work with women um, or clients to build self-esteem? What are some of the tools that you, that you use for that? So again, that, so the way I start with self-esteem is I really uh, start taking looks at their inner dialogue and their inner critic mm-hmm. and examining patterns that are coming up with the things uh, that people say to themselves. A lot of times when we're encountering situations or people, we talk um in our minds, in our, in our conscious about certain people, things and situations, and just really taking a look at what are you thinking about that? And then also talking with them about where does that voice come from or who does that voice mm-hmm. sound like to you? Mm-hmm. Um, does it sound like someone, um, in your path, typically it does. It sounds like someone that they know, and 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 we have a talk about that person, and uh, a lot of times it'll be a parent or something like that, or a culmination of people that weren't very good or very healthy uh, towards that person, and we talk about what that person meant to them and why they are holding on to the narrative of that person. So basically we talk a lot about why you breathe life into toxic people, because a lot of times that's what we'll do. We'll keep them alive and we'll keep them very present uh, with us all the time. Even if that's a relationship and that we no longer have, or that we no longer want, we're breathing life into that energy and kind of uh, running our lives with the words and actions of that person. So we talk about what purpose that serves for them and what it would take for them to let that person go and really start rewriting the narrative. Um, And so 
once we talk about that, we can talk about ways in which that person can rewrite the narrative for themselves and acts of kindness Mm -hmm. uh, that they can do for themselves and other people. Some of that may include um, saying and doing kind things for other people because a lot of times a person may not feel it towards themselves, but they may feel it towards others. But if you say it enough towards other people, eventually you'll start to kind of incorporate that into your own dialogue for yourself. Um, There's also inner child work uh, that I like to do in terms of going back and really um, how old you are emotionally and where did you start getting broken down or feel like you started getting broken down emotionally or, you know, physically or sexually. Uh, And what can we go back? What can we do to go back and embrace uh, your inner child and talk to your inner child and and show love towards your inner child? Um, So doing some things and that respect would be just a couple of things that I would start, um, you know, and doing exercises uh, such as uh, even dating yourself or self-exploration. Dating yourself is is one that a lot of people struggle with because uh, they don't like to spend time alone and they don't know who they are. So that's kind of a foreign concept to them. So talking about ways in which uh, you can date yourself and enjoy your time alone and, and sort of thrive off of spending time with yourself and and learning about yourself. Uh, What do you enjoy? What do you think that you do well? It also might entail people asking other people, what are three things or four things that you think that I do well or that are great qualities about me? People that um, you love and respect and that are going to give you positive feedback. Uh, so those would be a couple of things that we ways in which we would start empowering uh, yourself. And um, I think the other thing too is talking about our feelings of uh, guilt and shame and where that came from and incorporating boundary work. You know, a lot of times people that are very empathetic or are very kind have a hard time saying no or putting themselves first. And so we talk about why this is important. If you're sick um, and you have a sick child, it's important for you to kind of tend to your own sickness so that you can be in a position to kind of care for someone else who's not doing well. Um, So we talk about ways in which we can do that. Yeah. Um, I love it. You've basically just outlined my group program. Yeah. Really soon. (laughs) This is all the work that I do with my clients too. So I love it. Yeah. Um, And it's, and you know, the, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is important to point out is that often overwhelmingly it's empaths who are drawn to narcissists, right? And so we, and we feel things so much more deeply than, you know, your average Joe, right? Mm -hmm. And we take things on, right? We take other people's feelings on, we take on their, um, their problems, their troubles, their, we're sort of of sponges for the world really. And and it's really hard for us to differentiate between like what's ours and what's just like not. And especially when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, who's basically telling you that it's all yours. It's really hard to start to pull this stuff apart, but I think it's important to point that out because it's, you're not alone, right? If, if, if this is, if, if this is who you are and these are the feelings that you're having, like it's so common. Um, and it's, it's, it's common, right? You're not Mm -hmm. alone. There's a, there's a whole, there's a whole segment of the population out there that that are this sort of spongy and it's hard. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love what you said earlier about, you know, about making sure that you build, build connections. Mm -hmm. With other people, rebuild the connections with the people in your community that, or your friends, friendships that you may have lost, um, but also rebuild community in uh, among uh, with other women who are going through this. Sure. And you know, just I'm just going to give a shameless plug for my my Facebook group, <laughs> which will be linked in the fi- in the uh, in the show notes because it's a group of women who are all sort of going through the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's 
And it's amazing when women share their stories with other women who get it and they realize they're not alone. Something mm. really beautiful happens mm-hmm. that I felt, I think, really accelerates the healing of the shame and the guilt that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's just a really, yeah, it's really powerful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Tell tell me where, tell us where everything will be in the show notes, but where yes. can people find you? And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And what do you have going? Do you work with, um, with sort of the, the mass populace, not just, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, currently work in addition to my private practice I work for California Department of Corrections so I work with offenders um, and then I have my private practice uh, which is based out of Oakland in Sacramento California um, lifetime counseling and consulting you can find me um, on drnataliejones.com very simple so my name just spelled out um you know, and I do uh, coaching, I do consulting, and I definitely do counseling. Um, I'm also doing, uh, what do I have going on? I have a couple of seminars coming Yeah, I know I have a couple of seminars coming up, one for UC of Berkeley. Uh, mm-hmm. They've asked me to come and do a presentation on uh, this very topic, um, identifying uh, dangerous characteristics in dating and relationships. Uh, so something very similar to this. Mm-hmm. I also also have um, two three-day conferences uh, in which I'm doing for PESI. Uh, they do a lot of the continuing education credits for psychologists and therapists. Uh, so they've asked me to put on conference about folks with personality disorders and how to treat them. Uh, so I will be doing that. I often, I also write for other people. So I've written blogs and stuff like that for other people. Uh, so you may be able to find me, you'll be able to find me in places like uh, Psych Central and Therapy for Black Girls and things like that, where I've written pieces for people. Um, and I think for now, that's the only thing I've got going on. There is a book in the works, but uh, that's all coming up. So yeah, yeah. Pezzy has, you know, asked me to take other ventures so yeah that'll be an exciting way to go yeah that is exciting Mm -hmm. that's awesome thank you oh thank you so much for coming on and talking about this topic it's such a huge one and it's something that I know that I deal with my clients with about all the time Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really great to connect with you absolutely sure awesome thank you for having me yeah thank (laughs) you so much you're welcome Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.